2: The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host... Jason Hill And it's time for our appointment In this place There is no sun And nightmares do come true Here Instead of shadow falling The shadows follow you Consider getting comfortable Before the air grows colder Prepare yourself If you dare Inch over, closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more. your search is through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. down to the last drop. if you haven't had a taste yet I recommend going back a few weeks for chapters 1 through chapters 25 of Drew Steppik's epic vampire heroine drama otherwise get ready for the last fix before withdrawal since as I give you Chapters twenty-six through chapters thirty-one and the conclusion of Drew Knuckle Knuckles Supper. Chapter twenty-six, Kings. I didn't try to resist the ass-beating the cloth unleashed upon me when we got back to St. Matthews. I deserved it. But not for the reasons the cloth thought. I deserved it because I knew the person whose face I'd bisected. We had struggled together with all the other vamp junkies on the streets. He was part of the group I ran with while we learned about how to take care of ourselves. Building makeshift tents to ward off the sun... Learning how to roll, drug dealers, testing our strengths and weaknesses. We had all been the same. Trying to find our way in this nightmare existence. Simply trying to figure out how we would survive each day. This guy had given me my first pack of cigarettes, and had inadvertently given me my name. The day that Pico came to fish me out of the alley, not everyone wanted to leave and start anew they insisted they would find their own way, their own packs. So, I said my sincere goodbyes and rarely saw any of them again unless I somehow found myself at the various vampire lairs, collecting money for King Cobra. It was like we had all forgotten what we'd done for each other. Our communication became less and less, and tonight, it ended in me silencing forever one of those first friends I'd ever had. Even after I did their bidding, the demon hunters laughed while cattle prods, hammers, and guns pummeled me in my cell, reminding me that I would still never be human, and how worthless I really was. "'I don't want to do this,' I told Herman. I could hear the merriment of the renta priests die down as they left their gymnasium until their voices finally ended altogether.' assholes Herman caressed the top of his helmet I have to ask you again Reynolds why do you care those wanger fools never did anything for you or anybody else you. he's dead now and guess what you aren't his bitch let's just get this all done he didn't get it there was no way he understood or would ever understand what happened back at the whorehouse my body was filled with resentment and loneliness instead of blood and life all I could hear in my head were the screams of the people i just helped massacre if I hadn't been so loose-lipped about bait being left at the Batcave the trannies wouldn't have even been a blip on the cloth radar what's wrong with you? you act like you never killed anyone before pull your pants up and deal with it you wanted this you were the one convincing me he was right I splashed water into a deep laceration on my arm. It's more than that. They didn't do anything to us. They didn't do anything to the cloth other than exist. Whatever, he replied, fluffing his pillow for bed. He had taken a lighter beating than me for some reason. They turned your little bitch out and they were thinking that they ran my streets. I heard what he said. He said, since we've been out of the scene, there's a new way. Defeated. I leaned forward on the sink. Who cares about that street bullshit? I care, bitch. i run Los Angeles. I will, fool. Herman brushed the quickly formed scabs off his body. It was shocking that he never had a heart attack from healing at such a rapid pace. So I guess the BBPs are next. I hate them more. I can't wait to rip their smug little faces off. I already told you, I'm out. If they kill me or leave me locked in here, I don't care. You're on your own. Didn't it feel good, Reynolds? Didn't it feel good to kill somebody? We've been in here so long now it felt like jumping back on a bike. It felt natural. The door opened at the end of the hall. Herman rubbed his hands together as if our guests was room service and he was starving. Shit. Are they ready for more? I heard Fat Mac's soft footfalls nearing us. He was accompanied by the familiar sound of clicking, dragging, and wavering high heels. Knowing that the cloth was too busy with their post-kill fiesta to mind the lights, Herman pressed up against his bars. Yo, Fat Mac, we going out again? We going to get some more of our kill on? With the habit walking in front of him, he crossed my cell, heading toward Herman, He had a gun to her head. Even though she tried to bitch and moan, she was muffled by a sock duct-taped to her mouth. At least I wouldn't have to hear that lame catchphrase. "'What's all this about, Mac?' I asked as I splashed water on the habit. "'There's been a change of plans,' he answered, pushing the habit dangerously close to Herman's bars. "'Or, at least I have reconsidered the plans.' Herman reached out of his cell and tickled at the habit's nose with his fingernail. Hi, he whispered. What do you mean? You gonna kill us all now? Mecateer pulled the habit away from the bars and threw her against the wall. Petifacio duos, he said into his microphone. As if fresh air had entered my body for the first time in my life, the corkscrew unlatched from my neck and dropped to my feet. I cracked my neck on both sides and felt the imprint left by the collar. I don't get it. I stepped backward, expecting to be torched by the lights. Holy shit, Reynolds. Herman hopped around like he was doing jumping jacks. His collar was still firmly attached. They're gonna let us go now. See? I told you. Shut up, Herman. I headed back to my bed and dragged the mattress over by the toilet where I planned to dunk my head as soon as the UV lamps flamed on. He is partly correct, Mr. Reynolds. The guards are off duty. There is nothing stopping you from escaping. Herman raised his hand. What about me? Fatnak ignored him and continued. You are human, Mr. Reynolds. You're more human than I am. Not being ignored, Herman shook at his bars, much to my unease at the latest development. What about me, motherfucker? What right did we have to do the work of God? Mac intensified his voice. What right do we have to take it away? Turn around, fool! Herman screamed as he reached out of his cell and tried to grab Mac's arm. From behind, the habit quickly disarmed the priest and, without hesitation, blasted him near the heart. He cascaded to the floor like he'd just been ragdolled at a biker bar. Unable to move his right arm, he began praying with his left. I raced to the bars and started bending and opening. Herman did the same. The habit rose up behind Fat Mac, wobbly from whatever drugs she was currently on, and popped off a few rounds at Herman and then at me. Her drug-enhanced targeting system didn't lend itself to accuracy. A bullet breezed my jugular and knocked me over the sink. I tried to stem the blood emptying out of my neck as best I could and crawled back to the bars. Several more shots scattered into Herman's cell. You ruined my life! She screamed after ripping off the tape and spitting out the gag. Fat Mac pulled himself to the cell, continuing to pray. The habit raised the gun to the preacher's head. See you in hell, asshole. She squeezed the trigger and the bullet pierced directly into his head. Not letting a few bullets slow him down, Herman was back at the bars, trying to break them open. She fired more bullets his way, stopping only to shoot into my cell every five or so rounds. Despite her horrible marksmanship, one bullet nailed me in the upper thigh and another skimmed my shoulder. Without taking her eyes off Herman, she dropped the first clip out of the 9mm and nabbed another from under the nun's garb. Even though I didn't get a good look at its origin... "'I imagine she hit it in her ass or her vagina. "'I'm gonna finally kill you, bitch!' Herman shouted, not surrendering to his threats. "'She continued to unload round after round into him. "'The bullets did little to deter the massive Rasta, and he was almost out of the cell. "'Thinking quickly, the habit grabbed Fat Mac's collar and pulled him up from the ground. Gray matter vomited up from the hole in his head. "'She bent down, sneering, and cleared her throat.'
3: "'No!'
2: I screamed, racing back to the bars. I tried to shred the metal, pawing through the bars at her head. Herman was oblivious to anything other than getting out of his cell. Then, in what seemed like a split second, she hissed into Fat Max's microphone. "'Had Stringo Gooter!' She kicked the dead priest at my cell and ran away down the hall toward the exit." As the gun smoke cleared and blood pooled into my cell from Mac and Herman, I saw the Rasta King sitting with his back against one half of his table. The corkscrew tightened around his neck, but he wasn't struggling. He wasn't even twitching. I dragged myself to the bars that no longer divided us. He looked at me squarely as his eyes clogged with blood that spilled down his cheeks like tears. His breathing slowed. And I felt his life departing from the basement of the church where he was born subject to. I felt everything about the person that I feared most in the world. I didn't reach into a cell to help. If I had listened to the voice command to disengage the callers, I could have saved him. Like he said weeks before, though, I never listened to anybody but myself. His lips quivered and his nostrils flared as his tongue scratched away at the roof of his mouth. I read your file. You did come from royalty, I said to him. You're a king, brother. King fucking Cobra. One last smile etched on his face as more blood bubbled out. Before his life ended completely, he looked at me like I was his sibling, and he said, Thanks, R.J., Chapter 27 Lepers I stumbled through downtown Los Angeles. I knew the habit wouldn't come after me. She had already made her point. Hopefully, the cops would investigate the house. As far as the cloth was concerned, when they sobered up, they were going to be too busy trying to explain to their friends at the LAPD how Father McAteer was killed... The scene left there was beyond ugly. There was a good chance they were going to just burn down the entire place and suck a little more money out of their tax-exempt status and whatever insurance company would cover a radical cult like theirs. Every few steps, I looked for rats, possums, anything I could, all the while keeping my eyes peeled for a red cross tag. There were several downtown, but... Since I never really paid attention to them, I only had a vague memory of their whereabouts. Downtown Los Angeles at night, at least in the shit area I was in, was dead. And I was about to become another victim of its streets if I didn't find blood to heal myself soon. My body was still riddled with lacerations, and my skull was nearly caved in from being beaten by the rent priests of the cloth. I stopped next to a dumpster and tried to pull out the multiple bullets that the habit knocked off at me. Even though I risked losing more blood by opening my wounds, the bullets weren't going to just fall out of my body. I was coming down from my methadone blase. The heroin replacement only bottled up the withdrawal long enough for you to keep it, causing lethargy rather than euphoria. The cloth knew just the right dose to keep me a bloodhound during the hunt and a chihuahua the rest of the time. I looked into the dumpster and began my dive to find any kind of vermin that would provide me even a little bit of sustenance. Nothing. I shook my head and focused my eyes. You need heroin. I tried to ignore the gooch until, finally, I spotted a condemned building with a red cross tag about a half a block away. I needed shelter as much as I needed blood so I bunny hopped on my left leg using my arm to brace myself against a brick wall I clenched my hand into a fist as much as I was able to and hammered on the master lock security latch on the front door then I realized the lock was on the outside I didn't find it too strange I guess just a small deterrent from squatters after all Anyone walking into this place was going to be in more trouble than the vampire owner inside. I stumbled into the decrepit old building. Though I couldn't see much, I judged from the molding and auditorium ceiling that it must have been a theater before downtown died and relocated to Hollywood. Using a handrail for support, I began dragging myself up the stairs, hoping to find an opera box. The degenerating steps creaked and almost gave out with every stride I took. Pigeon shit made the stairs slippery, and at one point I fumbled to my knees. All I knew was that I had to get out of that main area and safely hide myself because the sun was coming up fast. I wouldn't die from direct contact with the light, but I would die from dehydration, lack of blood, and that wholesomriety thing. I reached the top stair, snapping the neck of a dead pigeon open as I stomped to my final destination. I looked around. It wasn't completely dark because of some of the painted glass panes on both sides of the large attic, but it was gloomy and empty enough for me to lay low. I was sure I could find a blanket to cover myself. What do you want? A raspy voice questioned from the far corner. You cop? I shielded my eyes from the colored rays beginning to filter into the room like disco ball reflections. I couldn't make out the figure. I'm not a cop, I said, and collapsed. My face hit bird shit and caught splinters from the wood floor. I heard shuffling. As the shape got closer, I noticed that it was a bearded man using his hands to drag what was left of his torso toward me. He got closer and spoke, trying to keep conscious. You okay, man? We haven't had anyone new come up here for a while. I need to get out of this light. I croaked. He picked my head up and pried my eyes open, looking inside like a doctor. Don't we all, brother? Makes you wish you were human, huh? (laughs) How did you know I was? No need to explain. We all end up here at one point or another. (laughs) (laughs) The man's breath reeked of Mad Dog 2020, and the only teeth that were left behind his filthy, cracked lips dangled by roots... "'Whiskers popped from almost every busted pore on his face, "'and his lashless eyes were so bulged "'that his eyelids didn't fully close when he blinked. "'Here,' he said, "'planting where his body ended at the pelvis directly under him. "'He bent his shoulders backward to support my weight, "'and I used both my arms to bring myself up. "'When he was sure I was on my feet, "'he fell to his hands and began dragging himself back to the corner. "'Follow me,' he advised.' what's your name i didn't answer (laughs) that's okay buddy there'll be plenty of time for that you said there were others i asked yeah some are still out hunting getting high whatever the rest are passed out Uh, long day there's a lot going on in la for our kind right now what do you mean yeah Let's just get you some blood and I'll tell you all about it, buddy. I limped along behind him. Down this hall, we got some decent blood down here. I followed him down the hall, still shielding my eyes and trying to keep as much of my skin from the light as I could. He opened a curtain into the opera box. In one corner was a tent, and in the other was a cooler. Two beach chairs and a fake campfire served as the centerpiece of my new friend's crib. He pointed at the campfire. Found this in the prop room. Mm, Pretty cool, buddy. (laughs) It works on four batteries. He dragged himself over to the cooler and opened it. Oh, shit, man. Running a little low. I hope the hunters come back with some good food for tonight. He said, handing me a mason jar filled with blood. I took a swig and passed it back to him. He rejected my offering. Oh, you're in worse shape than me right now, buddy. You can get me back some other time. I took back the bottle and sucked it down to the last drop. It hurts passing over the line of my throat when the dog collar had been clamped just hours earlier. Who are you? I asked, licking my lips. They call me Shaver. He scratched his beard. I think it's on account of that I have this prickly pear beard. eh? <laughs> Could be because I'm shaved in half though. Uh, I swept my gums clean of blood. How did that happen? I was fucked up on PCP. Trying to drink some bitch's blood in a Safeway parking lot and her husband ran me over with a car. I guess they figured they were in the wrong or they were drunk because they took off. I made my way back to Skid Row and they brought me here. Who are they? A gang? Hell. No more gangs around here, buddy. This is where all the screwball vamp people come. It's kind of like a veteran's hospital for the fuck-ups who can't really hunt no more. Then where's the blood come from? We work together. The ones who ain't got no legs use the legs of the ones who ain't got no arms. The ones with no eyes. Them is the fucked up ones, buddy. We usually drop them off on the curb at night as baits bait I thought to myself I had to find bait what was that talk about changes in LA I started licking the rim of the mason jar I felt some of my strength coming back it's neither here or there for me buddy some stuff about a new way and all that heard that King Cobra is dead a nail hammered into my spine You know King Cobra? Sure. That black bastard ran LA since I can remember. Some of the other gangs come by here and pay for information about shit we've seen with blood. What gang is that? Damn, son, I don't know or care. They give me blood. I'm tired. Take that there blanket, get some sleep. Looks like you had a bad day. As instructed, I grabbed the blanket and pulled it over my head. I was too weak to go anywhere near the light, so I was trapped in the opera box with that smelly transient at least until sundown. What little he did know, or care to know, he had told me. It was enough. I was being hunted. He ended the night with, Have a good day, buddy. Then turned off the faux campfire. I decided I'd better get some sleep and prepare for the worst. A filthy hand tugged at my arm. Wake up, buddy. Feeding time. I covered my head, momentarily forgetting where I was. It's okay. I'll get us some rations and then introduce you to the boys later. Chamber! a voice called out from behind the curtain. "I'm coming." The whiskered crimple said shaver crawled across the room his tied pant leg brushed across my feet i heard the curtain pull back i hid under the blanket hoping that it was an ask questions later halfway house can i get some extra for my buddy here he came in early this morning really bad shape looks like someone tried to hang him i rubbed at the burn mark around my neck he's real shy but i'll introduce you later a boot kicked me in the leg I let out a grunt. I imagine they were checking to see if there was a living body under the blanket or if Shaver was just making shit up so he could get more blood. The voice stuttered. Oh, I don't know, Shaver. We only have enough for people already here. You know the rules of bringing in newbies. Shaver patted my leg. My buddy here is in bad shape. I promise you, I'll bring him to meet and greet before the hunt. Looks like he can pack a punch. Could be a big help around here. The boot kicked at me again. I grunted louder. This time only, the voice said. The curtain closed. I peeked out from underneath the blanket. Thanks, Shaver. I appreciate your help. I backed my body up against the inside of the curved opera box as Shaver turned on the fake campfire and handed me a cocktail. My body still ached and the pain in my neck had only worsened from sleeping in the cramped corner. I drank the blood slowly. This is good shit today, huh, buddy? The sour taste of the cold blood tasted like pissed-out lemonade mixed with ragu. (laughs) It's great, I said, hiding my true feelings. So, mm, Shaver, what do you do around here? I mean, since you don't hunt... That's the thing I'm the eyes and ears of this place I have eyes for the sad saps that don't And I have the ears for those who don't like to hear I keep lookout Watch the place Make sure no cops are around They make me feel pretty important I guess you're lucky after all What time do you have to start your post? The second he left the box I was going to get the fuck out of there I'm running a little late now, but they'll understand. I got someone new to help us out, right, buddy? He slapped me on the back. (laughs) That's right, Shaver. Listen, I'm going to get back to sleep and let you get to your, um, eyes and ears. Wake me up when you get back so I can meet your boys. Hopefully by then I'll be feeling better. I slumped back down into my cocoon, but before I covered my head, I added... Thanks, Schaefer. Ask him for heroin, stupid. Ain't no thing, buddy. Just like I said, everyone ends up here at some point or another. Kind of surprised King Cobra never ended up here. He turned off the campfire. I pretended to rub my eyes like I was nodding off. It is kind of a surprise. I pulled the blanket over my head again as Shaver started his journey into a night's worth of bulldogging the theater. When I heard the swinging door at the end of the hall push open and then close, I started to make my move. I slugged down what was left of my blood and looked into the cooler for more. Nothing. I really didn't want to steal from this poor guy anyway. As I slid my combat boots on, I padded around the inside of the tent to see if I could find anything. I came across a small baggie of something. Since I didn't recognize it, I decided to leave it. Shaver did say he did PCP, and I had no interest in flying off the building after being sober for however long. I slowly pulled back the edge of the curtain and glanced down the hallway. No one was there. I guessed that they were all out doing their nightly duties in the streets. If all I had to worry about was Shaver and the jerk that kicked me, I was home free. Besides, the guy sounded kind of like a pussy. Cautiously, I made my way down the hall. The opposite way Shaver exited. I hovered next to the wall, sideways so I could monitor activities from both directions. It was silent. Then again, the habit deafened one of my eardrums with all her gunfire. I started down the stairs, then stopped when I faintly heard voices. Hopefully... "'I would find a stage at the bottom of the back staircase to conceal my movements. "'I continued my descent quietly, "'eyes darting to every corner as I made my way to the bottom of the stairs. "'The moldy carpeting smelled like death twice over. "'The first was the decay of the building, "'and the second was the decay of the displaced transients "'that moved in and called it home. "'As expected, the staircase took me backstage.' The curtain was spray-painted black with several different tags from several different gangs, some of which had been retired a long time before I was in the knuckleers. I walked parallel to the curtain without getting too close. I didn't want to disturb any of the pleats on the opposite side. Rat traps layered the floor. I guess they were for dinner, even though I doubted any living rodent had roamed around there in ages. People were on the other side of the curtain... I heard them mumble and could feel their hunger. As I looked around backstage... I noticed something. Limbless theater mannequins everywhere. The only body parts remaining were torsos and heads... Most of which were nailed to the wall or hung from chains. All the eyes were dug out. And then... Snap! Not paying attention to where I was walking... I became the rat caught in a trap. On both sides of the stage... Two legless figures, harnessed with rope, descended like sandbags. The crusty curtains pulled back and a spotlight nailed me directly in the eyes. I covered my face and fell to the ground, setting off a domino effect of mousetraps around the stage. Laughter erupted from the audience. Trying to avoid the light by bobbing my head from side to side, I picked the traps off my jeans and looked into the crowd. All I could see were silhouettes of misshaped figures, twisted, stumped, and ragged. The laughter raged on and Shaver slithered into the house lights reserved for the orchestra pit's pre-performance preparation. His eyes scrunched in the light as he pointed at me. ''That's him, right?'' he yelled, begging for the adoration of his tangled brood. ''That's R.J. fucking Reynolds. I'd know that son of a bitch anywhere.'' He kicked out his legless backside like a starving donkey. Another figure stepped out of the darkness that engulfed the back of the theater and patted Shaver on the head with some kind of claw-shaped appendage. I would clap. His smug little voice whimpered. But as you can see, I have no hands. He lifted two steel hooks into the light. Catching me off guard, the two disfigured rejects acting as sandbags clamped onto my legs. Their arms were powerhouses, strengthened by years of dragging themselves around. The hook-handed figure proceeded toward me. "'Remember me, RJ?' he asked, sharpening his hook blades on each other. He didn't have to tell me his name, probably because I never bothered to learn it or care what it was. It was the Desian Bottom Feeder. More accurately... It was the bottom feeder that I force-fed his own hands to. Behind him, the congregation of deformities limped, crept, shuffled, and moaned their way into the pit lights. Each wave of atrocities that emerged from the shadows was more horrible and disfigured than the row that preceded them. It was as if they were arranged by rank from totally fucked up to so fucked up that they were simply the crumbs of something that at one time might have been a cookie... Hook hands stood over me as the sandbags pulled me down to my knees. Then, he licked his right hook. As the stainless steel left his tongue, he plunged it into my left shoulder, hooking it underneath the bone. Fuck you! I screamed. His face became overly delighted, and then he pompously pouted and asked, Does it hurt, motherfucker? He then licked the second hook stating I'm guessing that it hurts more the first time he hammered the curved nail into my right shoulder once again locking it in position under my shoulder I bit into my tongue he was wrong it hurt just as much the second time he pulled me up to his waist the legion of forgotten deader than already being dead army continued their march towards us they formed a circle I didn't cry I didn't beg, other than wanting to save Bait. I really didn't care if this dick and his loser friends killed me or not. Unbutton them, he pointed to his jeans. Why? Unbutton them, he commanded, turning from right to left, delighting the spectators some of them hopped on one leg while other eyeless faces giggled as their blow-by-blow translators whispered the gory details to them the Desian pulled tightly on my shoulders reluctantly I unbuttoned the front of his pants he stopped playing to the crowd and he motioned his head downward and the zipper one of the blind ones was escorted over to me he petted at my hair inflaming the wound in my ear He's scared, he told the guide. To that, the guide returned. You should see his face. I think he's going to cry. Plaster rained from the ceiling as the laughter boomed through the opera house. The zipper, the finger eater let out again. I looked at the front of his pants. He jerked at my frame with the hooks. I didn't know how long I had been in captivity at the cloth compound, but it didn't seem long enough for this guy to become the leader of any group. Even this scrapyard of has-beens. The hooks elevated me further as they stretched the bones from their ligaments. I did as I was told. He had the upper hook at this point. Now pull them down, RJ. He shook his hips, initiating the pants to slump down below his pelvis. I shrugged trying to doze off open your fucking eyes and pull them all the way down boy the group of misfits tightened their circle and desi turned the hooks inward relieving the shoulders but condensing my rib cage it became increasingly difficult to breathe so once again i did as i was told hm. commando i wheezed me too I don't need to elaborate on what limp pleasantry sat asleep directly in front of my mouth. I can say this. It was pretty cold in that theater. Shut up. Shaver, get over here. The Desian opened the center of his legs, with a syringe in his mouth. Shaver crept under it and flipped over on his back like he was a mechanic checking this idiot's brakes. You ready? Shaver cringed as if seeing a taint was as bad as kneeling in the front of a limp cock with two hooks in his body. Yeah, the Dasean sighed. Shaver released the needle from his teeth and dropped it into his hand. He took a deep breath to avoid the stench of Fumunda and pierced the vein on the shaft. As the plunger reached the bottom of the syringe casing, I felt the hooks in my arms tense up. I tried to close my eyes again. I knew what was in the needle, and it wasn't a narcotic. It was really difficult to try and make happy thoughts while vomit ripened into my throat and started gushing from the sides of my mouth. Shaver exited as soon as his deed was complete. Open your eyes, R.J. The excitement streaming through his body made him turn the hooks into my shoulders like he was adjusting knobs on a stereo. You know what I want now, don't you? Sing? I asked, trying to avoid the banding under my nose. Suck my dick, motherfucker! I want you to know what being disgraced feels like before we rip you into pieces and take your body parts as our own. In an attempt to appeal my conviction in the court of misfit vampires, I looked to the circle. As his member inched its way toward my face, I tried to fill my mouth with more vomit it would taste better than the other thing inside there. I looked up at him. His face was filled with satisfaction, and he smiled from ear to ear. Getting more sickened by his vain, glorious air, I tried to pull away. The hooks had me anchored on my knees. This is it, I thought to myself. This is the end of R.J. Reynolds. Just as I was ready to throw in the towel, I looked once again to the circle of beasties. Just beyond them was a tower. It was a tower so dark that it actually stood out from the rest of the pitch black stadium. A shadow broke from the tower, hovering toward the circle. As the shadowy figure converged, a fervor of whispering commenced in the room and the circle broke open. The Desian, who was too proud of his accomplishment at my expense and paid his followers no mind, like a retreating horde, the sideshow panicked back into their holes. The figure stopped about 20 feet behind the show. Black hair swirled around it like a tornado. Letting me sweat, the shape watched as the Desian's cock entered my mouth. After a few seconds, it had enough and proceeded. A shadow swelled over us, showing a sword unsheathed from behind its back. The sandbags let go of my legs and yanked on their ropes to be pulled back up to the rafters. The curtains began to close. The Desian looked down, furiously not aware that the matinee was about to end. Keep sucking, mother... Before he could finish his sentence, the tension from the hooks of my shoulders eased. I reached up and used all my remaining strength to clamp onto his arms at the elbow and bust them off, leaving the hooks and his bodiless arms in my shoulders. His eyes started to twitch as his head turned around to see the assailant. It was too late. His head broke at the neck, slid off his left shoulder and onto the ground, rolling under the curtain. The rest of his body folded like a squeeze box, I spat the barf in my mouth on his corpse. Eldritch extended his hand. Need any help, my friend? I spun my right shoulder and slipped the hook out. I grabbed Eldritch's forearm and pulled myself to my feet, then slid the second hook out, using the massive vampire's body to steady myself. No need to thank me, Eldritch continued. To tell you the truth, Eldritch... I wish you would have let them kill me. You're already dead, he returned. Not as dead as you're going to be if I live through this and anyone else ever hears about it. I let go of him and stood of my own. After a couple of lame tricks that one might expect to see at a Pee-wee karate demonstration, he spun his sword over his shoulder and back into its sheath behind his hair. Nice sword, dude. It's a katana. Said to be crafted during the Muromachi dynasty. Too tired to argue or listen, I blacked out. Chapter 28 Confidants. When I regained consciousness, I was slung over Eldridge's back. He had apparently carried me all the way from downtown, or, at the very least, from his car. Activated by a clapper rather than black magic or telekinesis, classical music reverberated inside Eldridge's loft. After dropping me in front of the human hookah, Lord Drogula made his way to the kitchen to warm me up some fresh blood. Stopping only at his fanciful display cabinet to re-present his sword. My shoulders desperately thirsted for blood. My mouth, on the other hand, needed to be disinfected. I crawled over to the comatose human sacrifice. His left toes twitched as if he knew it was feeding time. Do you have any Listerine or rubbing alcohol or anything, Eldritch? I spit out a lump of vomit stuck in my teeth. I guess I was lucky to have teeth. If the Desian kid had any sense at all, he would have beaten my teeth out jailhouse style before he made me suck his cock. In the bathroom. Don't worry about that now. You need to get those wounds healed. How come none of those weirdos in the opera house tried to attack you? I looked toward the kitchen. Any other person would have just nuked the blood for me. But Eldritch always did things his way. In the center of his kitchen was a cast-iron wood-burning stove. He poured the blood into an old copper tea kettle. I noticed that he never owned anything made from silver. I suppose it was due to his... lichen upbringing. I am their friend. I bring them food and blood all the time. I picked up the main tube from the hookah. Kind of like working in a soup kitchen? Meals on wheel shit? Meldrich pondered for a second and simply said, "'Yes, I suppose it is. "'Don't use that one.' "'I looked at the pipe. "'Why? "'Do I have to supply you with an answer to that? "'I use that pipe.' "'Rather than engaging in any conversation "'that would eventually lead to the reason "'why he didn't want me smoking from his pipe, "'I dropped it and exchanged it for one of the shabbier ones "'that came from the victim's thigh.' Eldritch returned to me and handed me an antique and bejeweled chalice. I took a huge swig out of it and chased it with a puff from the living pipe. "'How did you find me, anyway?' I asked. From behind one of his many curio cabinets, he produced a mop. He walked behind me and sponged up the slug trail I had left. "'One of those unfortunates is a very good friend of mine. He called me just after you arrived there this morning.' He returned the mop to its secret pantry, hiding it from view. God forbid he let anyone know that he cleaned up after himself, rather than having a loyal Renfield do those things for him. I wish that bait were there to see him in action. Eldridge sat down on the sofa, crossed his legs and blew vile clove smoke in my direction. I coughed, using my hand to loft the sweet-smelling stench back his way. Do you have any... <laughs> real cigarettes Elbridge. have you not smoked enough today his face lit up as if he had just told a joke that brought down the house at the improv really dude lucky that I like you and you're also lucky you saved me do me a favor Cinderella and leave the jokes to the pros I sat on the floor Indian style rubbing my shoulders I felt the skin start to seal up from where the hooks had pierced me The opium felt good as it streamed through my veins, reminding me why I needed narcotics. I was, after all, born addicted. I knew you weren't gone, RJ. The question is, where have you been? Des and Copperhead set me up and fit me to the cloth. I've been in their religious rehab center. Eldritch produced a file from the side table next to him began sharpening his claws so that makes it okay to kill the batwangers have you learned nothing of the vampire code there aren't that many of us why kill your brothers on top of that why do you hate those who are not like you why do you hate gay people You're just not a nice person. He was right. Even though trannies and gays had helped me when I was first learning the trade, all they ever heard from me was hateful words. For some dumb reason, I decided that I was better than them solely because they were different from me. My right ear was still pounding from the Habit's mad artillery show. Unlike the rest of my body, my hearing wasn't going to be healed anytime soon. You tell me what you would have done. They were training me to kill for them like an animal. They force fed me blood like cardinals and shit, and they only gave me drugs after I did what they told me to do for them. When I say drugs, I mean methadone. I had a dog collar around my neck that was programmed to slice my head off, for God's sake. He extended his fingers and blew the metal shavings into the air. I would have fallen on my sword. Maybe I didn't have a sword in my fucking jail cell that was tipped with a gigantic ultraviolet sunbeam. Besides, bro, the Batwangers were supposed to keep Bait away from Dez. They turned her out. I have no idea where she is or if she's even alive. And King Cobra? He's dead. Bye. I continued rubbing my shoulders and drinking the blood. Why the fucking inquisition? Because you killed a lot of my friends, R.J. They might not have been like you or I. No one is like you. Be that as it may, he continued, ignoring my comments. You have broken an unspoken code of conduct set forth by the undead. I'm not going to justify myself for this. First off, there is no code of conduct... ''We're in gangs. We fight to sell and do drugs. ''Secondly, I mangled them because if I didn't, I was going to be killed.'' He blew some steel flakes from his filing off his nails. ''There is a code. You don't kill others like you.'' ''What is this code shit?'' I pulled the pipe out of my mouth and lifted the foot of the hookah. ''Is this your code? The fucking guy is alive right here and he is your bong.'' Hookah, "'Whatever. "'Where is the line drawn in this holy code of yours? "'This guy has more of a right to live "'than a bunch of killers who are already dead.' "'Eldritch, getting a little perturbed, "'threw his clove on the floor, "'stood up and extinguished it under his boot. "'He marched across the room "'and opened a vintage desk by the staircase. "'He put on a pair of 18th-century reading glasses "'and rested them on his nose. "'Then picked out a stack of parchment papers and a raven's feather quill. Still a little excited, he rustled through the documents. Ah, here it is, he finally stated. He placed the other pages back into the desk and brought the page of interest over to me. It clearly states here, I, Thomas Anthony Buchanan, do give my body and soul to thee, Baron Eldridge III, for a reward in the life after. He pointed to the document with the quill. It's all here. I snatched the sheet from his hand and read it. What is this? A contract. Signed in the blood of the man you're feeding from. Dude, you make these people sign contracts? Who's going to bust you? How are you going to be sued? Look at this guy. I picked up his hand and dropped it. He's never going to be right again. It is a part of my personal code of vampire ethics. These individuals willingly give themselves to me. You're no better than me, pal. Just because they gave themselves to you doesn't make it right. Frustrated, he nabbed the contract from me and returned it to his desk. He looked back and shook the piece of paper. This is my contract. It is proof that my transgressions are not those of a heathen. I rolled my eyes. I also had Cobra to worry about. They completely fucked that guy up. For someone who places little to no value on life, you sure wanted to live. Why is that? I don't know, really. I guess I figured that if I ever got out of there, I could find bait. I thought about her a lot while I was trapped. And since Nomi told me that the BPPs bought her and took her to... wherever... I wanted to save her. What if I told you that she is still alive? And that I know where she is? How would you know that, Baron? Not detecting the sarcasm in my voice, he said, I met Des and Copperhead to give them the money. I gave them the bag. No questions asked. You gave them my money. Why? "'It would seem that your present state answers that riddle for you. "'Ever since that bag of heroin came to be in your hands, "'nothing but horrible things have happened. "'They told me that you were looking to kill my Nightcrawler friends and me. "'They asked me to join them in their crusade toward a new way. "'I honorably declined.' "'I walked over to him. "'Is she okay?' "'I did not see her.' But I do know that Dez and Copperhead are now running all the drugs through the Skinland invasion compound. You've got to be kidding me. Meth? Not just meth. Everything. There is no longer a division of the street trade. One group, one source. The police will not even step foot on their land because they have made it very clear what they are and what their intentions are. How deep is this group? Deep? I do not think they are a very enlightened bunch. Not deep like that, Eldritch. Deep like how big of a gang is it? From what I judged, 20 SIs, Des and his followers. Copperhead and what is left from the rest of the gangs. A rough estimate would be about 40. But they're mostly pussies like Dez, right? Like you and I could rip them to shreds? Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? That's a stupid question, Eldritch. You don't have any mirrors in the house. That would give away the mystery behind whether vampires give off reflections. Why are you such a mean person? I just saved you from certain death, and all you continue to do is pick and pry at my very existence. Can we get her back or not? I do not kill others like myself. It is an oath. You chopped the head off of that guy today. He was a vampire. I killed him because he was about to kill you. I am not proud of my actions. I stood up, walked over to his desk, and placed my hand on his shoulder. Look, I'm not trying to make you do anything that jeopardizes your beliefs. I looked into his eyes, realizing that he had... Skull. Contact lenses in. She's a 13-year-old girl who, if still alive, is being raped, beaten, and tortured. Please... Look beyond your code of ethics and do this for the greater good. I appealed to his sense by pleading in the flowery context of his worldview. She's a human child. These monsters are performing unspeakable atrocities on a child. She needs our help. Eldritch nodded his head and cupped my hand into his. I am with you, brother. You are correct. She cries out for our rescue. Um, besides, I I don't have a car and I don't know if uh, an MTA line can get me to the Inland Empire. Eldridge dropped my hand, smirked, and said, Please, go and use some mouthwash now. Your breath is... heinous. I squirmed around in the red vinyl seats of Eldridge's hearse, creating as much gassy noise as a 500-pound chili-eating champion the night after a day's worth of competition. I looked over at Eldridge, slouching over the wheel to fit his lumbering frame into the driver's seat. His razor fingernail spikes pawed at the steering wheel as his steel fangs bounced off his tongue. Every few minutes, when a section of a song excited him, he grabbed the right section of his ass-length raven-colored hair and flung it back behind the headrest. I wanted to tell him to wrap his mane up and ask scrunchie or something, but what would be the use of that? I'm sure having his hair covering his face made him look more vampirific. I hesitated for a few minutes, shuffled around in the fart seat and blurted out, ''Is this all really necessary, Eldritch?'' Of course I was referring to the hearse filled with more vampire cliches than the last-stopped gift shop outside of Vlad the Impaler's castle. He swung his eyes to me without turning his head from the highway. I don't know, R.J. Is this Scarlet Woman worth it? Scarlet Woman? I searched my brain for a reference. It's called a hooker, Eldritch, and Bate isn't even that. I was supposed to be her first John. We act one way... You act another, he declared. Just because we come from different eggs doesn't mean we're not all the same. We are all creatures of the night. Oh my god, dude. I picked at my ear. You're killing me. Eldritch turned the stereo off and downshifted the car, screeching it beyond the shoulder and into the desert. A sandstorm blasted from his tires through the open windows of the hearse. I shot forward and barely escaped plowing through the windshield by bracing my arms against the dashboard. The sand dissipated, falling into the Count's hair and all over his black leather trench coat. He sat still for a moment, silently looking forward. He then blew the hair out of his eyes, spraying California inland dirty ashes. He tapped his razor claws on the steering wheel. Well, he finally challenged... I spit out of my finger and rubbed the sand out of my eyes. As I licked it out of my gums and spit it back into my hand, I returned. Well, what? He sat still for another moment, then shifted his body around in the driver's seat and clutched my neck where my dog collar burn remained. Without any visible anger in his tone or his eyes, he quietly asked again. Well... The sand trickled down my throat like I was an hourglass about to be timed down. I squeezed out. I'm sorry, but Eldritch didn't release his grip. You know that I shan't need to do this, correct, RJ? I could easily collect my belongings and leave Los Angeles, he continued. I do have a debt owed to me. The chances that either of us will walk away are faint, I am doing this for you. A friend, he released me. I hacked up some of the sand for a minute and looked at him squarely. I'm sorry. Eldridge threw the hearse back into gear and crept back onto the I-10. Still choking a little on the sand, I said. Where exactly are we going? I don't know anything about the S.I.s except for the fact that they're white supremacists and that they do a shitload of crank." As a matter of fact, Evelyn met the leader once. What's his name? Um, Zitz or something? His name is Pox, and their dominion is on the outskirts of the Salton Sea. Eldritch produced a clove cigarette from behind his left ear. It's an old, destitute hotel called the Sea and Sun Oasis. By flicking his thumb against his index claw, he sparked it. Unsurprisingly, The flame disappeared when he snapped his fingers. Thinking he couldn't see me, I rolled my eyes and left a soft giggle out of my nose. A smirk lifted over the corner of Eldritch's pale, sunken cheekbones. It is rather ostentatious, is it not? I doubled over laughing as sand from my hair fell into my lap. (laughs) It's it's all really, really lame, dude. (laughs) You know what, though? He blew clothes into the already smoky and dusty car. No matter how lame you can be, King Cobra was always terrified of you. He smiled. It was dark as Eldridge cautiously drove through what was left of the Salton Sea with the stereo low and the lights on the hearse off. The buildings in the tortured town looked like they would crumble at the slightest movement, such as us bouncing over a crack in the road. Graffiti camouflaged the faded pastel covers of the Art Deco architecture. I rolled up my window. It smelled like the wharf had been shoved into suitcases and someone was opening them as we passed. I kid you not... The air was so thick with the perfume of rotting fish and birds that I couldn't help but pull my shirt over my face and inhale my own body odor rather than catch the slightest whiff. What the fuck happened here? I asked as I wiped spittle off my face. I rubbed it into the fibers of my jeans. It was quite a tourist attraction in the 1950s. However, it was a man-made sea and since it's nothing more than a hole filled with old water that has nowhere to escape to, agricultural runoff and pollutants are trapped, killing all the wildlife. The sea is nothing more than another one of man's unwanted atrocities. Open the glove compartment. We cannot drive any farther. Eldridge pulled the hearse into a covered parking area next to a hotel and cut the engine. Following his orders... I opened the glove compartment. Rolled into a leather rig kit were six needles. Heroin, I asked. Hardly, he said. It's... poor man. A nice combination of 80% speed and 20% heroin. The only reason I put heroin in it at all was to keep us focused slightly. It will also feed your hunger for both drugs. I unfastened one of the needles from the case and held it up to a flickering old light above the garage where we parked. The greasy brown gas station toilet water color affirmed Eldritch's chemical mix. Garbage. Are you kidding me, dude? Even if I wanted this in my body, how the hell are we supposed to get in there? This place is a ghost town. Eldritch pointed off to a rusted airstream a block from the hotel that was surrounded by a six-foot-tall barbed wire fence. Behind the fence, a mad pack of Rottweilers was gnawing on the razor wire like it was made of rawhide. Remembering the fates of Leroy and Skillet, I grabbed Eldritch by his bony shoulder. Are you kidding me? Come on, dude, I can't kill someone's pet. Copperhead killed both my dogs. How about some nice, clean heroin and some dude on steroids or something? That is not going to work, RJ. I do not think you realize what we were about to do. Not only is this area flooded with SIs, we also have to worry about Des, Copperhead, and the rest of the followers. So, just like I asked before, is this worth it? I remembered Leroy and Skillet unable to play with me after Copperhead maimed them. Then I thought about Bate. I didn't even know if she was still alive. On top of that, what chance did Eldridge and I have to take on these second-rate psychopaths? I held the needle up to the light again. I opened the car door and kicked my combat boot out onto the marsh of the Salton Sea. I remembered Bate in the bathroom, giving herself an abortion. I remembered Leroy and Skillet, with their heads bobbling around. Fate wanted less to bring another unwanted little monster into this world than I wanted to be alive. For that, and the fact that I think I felt some type of fatherly obligation to her, I needed to help her. Reluctantly, I said, It's worth it. I stayed in the hearse as Eldridge got out and closed the door. He swung his charcoal hair back, dusting out more sand as he shifted the tail end of his leather trench coat to the side, revealing his bare chest, his pinstriped trousers, and his patent leather creepers. He flipped a clove into his mouth and immediately clapped both his hands, spawning fire from all his fingers. He lit the sugary grit. Finally, he waved his flaming hands in circular motions over his face. The blaze smothered creating the illusion of smoke rising from his shoulders. I looked at the door handle to the hearse, wanting to close it. My boots sank further into the swampland outside as I stood up and shut the door behind me. Jesus fucking Christ. I grumbled. Our shadows moved side by side to the dog pen, looking like those of an adult with his child. I hadn't realized that Eldridge was so much more massive than me. If he had been more muscular, he was quite lanky. He would have easily been the size of Herman. Herman. Another reason I had to kill these bastards. The dogs bit at the barbed wire and each other the closer we got. At one point... One of the bulkier, more agitated rots bit into one of his brother's hides... ...tearing a hole into its hindquarters. That was my dog, I decided. Leave the poodles for Eldritch. The guy was already huge. Are you ready? Which one do you want? I pointed at the savage who had just crippled his little brother. The big one. Good choice. Eldritch lunged his right arm through the barbed wire grasped the stout neck and yanked the dog out, stripping fur off as he pulled. The dog wailed as it tried desperately to clamp its jaws onto Eldritch's gigantic hands. You ready? What am I supposed to do? I only know how to kill humans. The dog squirmed more as it yelped and kicked its dangling rear legs at the leather trench coat. It is almost the same thing. The rot slung slobber across Eldritch's bare chest. No, it's not. Asshole humans don't deserve to live. These dogs... He interrupted and catapulted the hound at me. Damn it, man. Catch! The ravenous animal propelled through the air and caught me on the forearm. Its teeth sunk in with no intention of letting go. Put the dog down, Eldritch commanded. I dropped the dog down to the wet ground under my forearm as Eldritch made his way over to me to open the dog vice consuming my arm. The dog released. Hold him down by the throat and drop your leg into its chest. As I had with the wanger, I turned away from my victim. Where are the drugs? I motioned with my head as I held the dog at bay. In my back pocket. Eldritch grabbed the rig kit out of the pocket and pulled a syringe out. He tapped at it and squeezed the air out, squirting just a bit of the brown sludge from the top. When he knew it was ready, he plunged the needle into the dog's heart. Get ready, he advised. Making sure he depleted everything in the spike, he pulled it out, threw it, and instantaneously dug his razor claws into the animal's chest cavity. As the kicking and fighting from the dog turned into trance-like movements and its tongue dangled to the side. Eldritch tugged the heart out, shattering the sternum outward. "'Eat it,' he said, softly. I closed my eyes and did, he said. As soon as I had the snack in my mouth, Eldritch headed back to the dog cage. The dogs backed up and tried to snuggle underneath the trailer. Their attempt to hide was fruitless, however." because the leather-coated nightcrawler ripped his way through the wire fence and grabbed two of them by their bobbed tails. He dragged the animals out and collapsed on top of them, his knees crushing their chests. He produced a needle in both his hands, plunged them into the dogs, and then withdrew their hearts. I was filled with the amped feeling of terror ahead. The animal blood and meth in my system made me shake and vibrate, ready to kill. Chapter 29 Sultans Eldridge and I huddled behind a big rock in front of a wasteland of abandoned mobile homes. While Eldridge jerked his head in all directions, making sure the coast was clear, I fidgeted and panted, feeling the dog blood and speed course through my veins, electrifying my heart and brain. His unsteady finger pointed to the compound, about a mile away. It was surrounded by a six-foot brick wall. At all four corners were skinhead mules with AK-47 machine guns slung over their shoulders. At the entrance was a guard station set up to secure the once prominent gated community. Beyond the gate, at the center of the colony, was a clubhouse surrounded by several crumbled homes and rusted trailers. They keep all the drugs in the country club, and they sleep and socialize in the trailers and houses. I'm guessing that Dez and Copperhead are in the Stucco Ranch home. He pointed off to the left side of the clubhouse. And I believe your friend is with them there. It appears to be the most fitting home on the property. Unnecessarily annoyed, I put down the archaic scope because I could see better without it. Where did you meet with Dez when you came here before? Eldridge's head jerked and twitched, the speed eliciting him to tug on his own hair. We met in the clubhouse. With his claw, Eldritch began unsteadily mapping the area in the sand. I scratched the side of my head. How the fuck do you expect us to get in there? I mean, Jesus, how can we get through undetected by the guards? God damn it, Eldritch! I felt like there were sand fleas crawling all over me. I'm going to drive directly up to the front gate and be let in. While I create a diversion for the guards, you're going to edge around the back, climb the fence, and make your way down the backside of the silo. I chewed on my cuticles and scratched at my cheek. Boy, speed was a hell of a lot different than my cherished heroin. Are you fucking crazy, Eldritch? As soon as you drive up there, they're going to rip you into a thousand pieces with those machine guns. He sucked his clove down to the filter. I smelled the burning plastic. "'It made my nose itch. "'Not likely, RJ. "'They want me to participate in their new business. "'They have to know that you saved me at the Opera House. "'That place was filled with snitches. "'Fucking snitch cripples. "'I felt like I was moving a million miles an hour doing nothing, "'like I was running on my knees, "'full speed down a never-ending hallway. "'Trust me, not one person is telling these Philistines anything.' "'My presence at the opera house is known, trusted, and respected. "'Besides, I must get the hearse into the compound. "'All my weapons are concealed inside the casket in the back.' "'Using his talon, he drew a circle around the outskirts of the gated area "'to establish the mountains surrounding the valley. "'Before he finished the circumference, "'his steel nail fell off from all his trembling. "'We'll use the dark cover of the mountains behind us "'to advance behind the clubhouse,' As you can see, that area is much closer to the back gate than it is here. He marked an X on the ground, representing our current position with another one of his claws. I tried to focus on the mountains circling the Skinhead Invasion Valley. The horizon tunneled inward and outward, making it difficult to judge the depth of land directly in front of me. Ignoring the racing of my heart, I acknowledged that he was right. The range spiraled inward to the back of the clubhouse, the only way into or out of the basin was the route we took that was filled with the deserted dwellings of the Sultan Sea. I don't know about this, Eldritch. Like you said, this is a complete suicide mission. If we're going to do this commando, let's just bum rush them straight up. You know, um, do you know what the fuck I'm talking about? Do you do you do you hear me? God damn it, can you hear me? <laughs> he grabbed my shoulders and shook them. "'We cannot back down now. Our destiny is to save this young woman. We have to do this right or we are dead. This is so cheesy!' Out of nowhere, I felt an object belt me on the back of my head. "'Ow!' I yelped, deciding at first that it was nothing more than the overdose of speed in my system. I looked down at my chest cavity. The center of my body expanded and collapsed, trying to keep pace with my heart slobber whizzed around me everywhere as i flapped my head around releasing my jowls another object smacked me in the back of the head driving my face into the rock formation in front of us i shoved eldritch he fell back on the scope why are you pushing me he picked up the pirate looking glass it dangled around broken this cost me a fortune I pushed you because you just nailed me in the back of the head, asshole. And who cares about that stupid thing? It doesn't even work. A Caribbean twang sang out from behind us. So, I guess Diz was correct in thinking that you weren't dead. (laughs) Eh, RJ. We both spun around. Copperhead and three Desians stood on top of one of the busted-ass airstreams behind us. Arrogantly... Copperhead flicked dust off his shoulder. "'Good thing we're out on thing. is gonna love this. He picked up his cell phone and began dialing and pointed to Eldritch. "'Eldritch, come on, R.J. "'Why bring this pussy?' Before I had the chance to leap into a brawl, Eldritch dropped two smoke bombs in front of him and screamed, "'MINE!' He pounced toward the trailers on all fours, unintentionally knocking me over the rock with his back leg. He rocketed toward them, bolting his massive body into the war zone. Without missing a beat, Copperhead jumped and met him mid-flight. Rather than be bothered with a collision, Eldridge simply grabbed Copper by the head, spun it around like a baseball, and pitched him further back toward the mountains. I got to my feet and bounced in Copperhead's direction. Eldridge descended directly between two of the Desians. A thunderous boom rang out as the Uber Vamp's boots landed on the aluminum trailer. His talons dug into each of their skulls, locking in securely as if they were bowling balls. Not wanting to be the next victim, the third Desian jumped off the trailer, trying to escape. Viciously, Eldridge scooped the scalps, brains, and spines out of his first two victims, and then one after another fired them like meteorites across the desert, tripping up the fleeing Desian. I made my way back to the canyon wall where I expected to find Copperhead. Eldridge clearly had those three covered. Rumors of his pacifistic demeanor were grossly misinterpreted. That was the most barbaric display I had ever seen. At that point, I wanted to join his gang. Like a jackal in a spin cycle... I leapt from trailer top to trailer top, looking between the openings for Copperhead. I smelled his pot stench everywhere, but the speed made it increasingly difficult for me to hone in on an exact location. Bubbles blew out of my nostrils as I tried to slow my heart. An intense vibration grappled onto my body and carried me around like a Mexican jumping bean. Focus, RJ, I kept telling myself. Tree limbs crackling, rocks rolling from the cliffs, and random pops in my bad ear came at me from every direction. As I made my way between the two last trailers, I was hit by a tree branch and lost my footing. I flipped backwards, hitting the edge of the trailer. I slid down the side, catching a railroad spike on my back that was being used to cover a window with wood. The ragged skewer bumped up my vertebrae like a playing card, clicking through the bike spokes. "'I felt it breaking bones in its path "'until it reluctantly stopped on my recently healed shoulder bone. "'Fuck!' I wailed. "'I steadied my palms flush against the airstream "'and released myself from the spike. "'I stumbled to the next trailer, "'checking to see if Copperhead was above me. "'I didn't know if the tree I whacked into was his doing "'or if it was just my exaggerated alertness "'that was blinding me rather than servicing me. "'He wasn't there.' I scurried around the maze of campers, looking for a way out. I shook around my jowls again as mounds of spit whizzed everywhere. The dryness of my eyes was killing me because I hadn't blinked since I shot up. A wave of twitching transferred from one of my arms to the other and then back, and my fingers contorted like they were all independently trying to escape from my hands. I clenched my fists to try to stop the disobedient behavior only to notice the blood vessels from my elbows to my wrists popping out and collapsing. There were sand fleas all fucking over me, so I tried to scratch at every inch of my flesh. Finally, I made my way out to the boundary between the trailer maze and the open air. I looked over at Eldritch who was tugging organs and innards from the fresh carcass of the third Desian. I looked at the top of the trailers and saw Copperhead. With long strides, he skipped over the top of the aluminum graveyard. Rather than bother with me, he made his way toward the unaware eldritch who was squeezing an intestine to his mouth like a beer bong, trying to siphon what little blood was left. I immediately began galloping like a quadruped toward the scene. What was left of the discs in my back slid around and separated. With not even a second to spare... I hurtled my frame at Copperhead, clipping his legs before he started his descent on Eldritch. We hit the ground while Eldritch continued to feast, paying our scrimmage no mind. I snorted away as the combination of rot blood and meth continued to pull the strings, puppeteering my body and mind. I sunk Copperhead's face into the sand, beat in his cheekbone with my knuckles, and kneed at his annihilated ribcage. He spat sand and weeds out of his mouth trying to create a passage. Okay, okay! He cringed like a tabby cat. I remained relentless, breaking him open like a pinata at his center with my leg. I shifted my knuckles to my forearm and clubbed him so hard in the face that his nose became an indiscernible blob. His eye popped out of the socket and dangled from the spaghetti behind it. A clear fluid dripped from the jumbled ball. The phony Jamaican accent magically disappeared. Please stop, R.J. I'm sorry, man. I'm so fucking sorry. I didn't do anything. It was Dez's idea. It was all Dez. It was too easy to just let him go. I thought about Herman and the downfall Copperhead had plotted against him. They force-fed us to the enemy and handed Herman a pink slip at the hands of the cloth and the habit. I relaxed on the chest cavity and pinned his thighs down with both knees. I felt his pants fill with piss and shit. Please, Archie, He pleaded. He begged just like the tranny and the bus driver had, but I wanted to see him suffer. I was excited to kill him. I tried to grab a breath and looked up to Eldritch, who was still paying no attention to us. He continued his fixation on the organs of his casualties. The, ''The... whore?'' Copperhead stammered. I placed my fingers around his skullcap and rotated his head out of the sand. ''You... you want... want the whore, right?'' I didn't answer. I grinded my teeth, panting every few seconds. Come on, RJ. Please let me live. I, I I'll, I'll take you to the whore. He closed his intact eye and tried to inhale, hoping he would suck the other one back into the socket. His actions reminded me more and more of Herman. He was a cheap imitation of a great man. RJ, she's alive. I never touched her. It, 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 it was dead. I, I had nothing to do with it. He tried harder to inhale. The eye slowly started to move. Halting his attempt, I snatched the eye and shoved it into his mouth. She's alive? I asked. Copperhead nodded, not sure what to do about being able to see the inside of his own mouth. Well then, I have no need for you, motherfucker. This is for King Cobra. I fastened his head down in the sand behind him. He squinched his eyelids closed and bit into the eyeball in his mouth. With a powerful uppercut from my free hand, I compounded his chin all the way up to the middle of his face. I dug in farther, making his skull wrap around my fist like a boxing glove. I pulled my arm back for a moment and then plowed directly through the center of his cranium, spray-painting his brains all over the sand. I stood up still breathing ravenously, and pulled his head off my fist with my boot. Eldritch peeked over his shoulder at the mess. No need for you to do me any favors, RJ. It, um, does not appear like here was much of a contest, anyway. Look over there, though. Eldritch pointed off in the distance to Copperhead's black Cadillac Escalade. I reached into the front pocket of the former Battlesnake's jeans. Sure enough... The keys were there, and we had our ticket into the compound. Chapter 30 Progenies "'I cleared a tube from the headbong vice thing "'that was sitting on the floor "'under the passenger seat of Copperhead's Escalade. "'Around the rearview mirror "'were the braided remains of Herman's dreadlocks. "'You should take a hit, Eldritch, I said, "'offering the glass pipe over the center console. "'Bad dancehall music thumped away inside the vehicle, "'almost lifting the rear end "'as it boomed from the enormous subwoofer in the back. "'I blew out the smoke.' It'll take the edge off the meth. No. With eyes bulging, he focused on driving. What's the plan here? These windows are pretty well tinted, but I think they will stop us at the gate into the compound. He gunned the car, frequently stomping the brakes wherever he saw any obstruction on the dirt road. Sweat flooded his skeletal face. He didn't answer. His hand twitched a little, but I don't think he was confirming any plan. "'I think it was just shaking from the speed and eating the vampire insides. "'I had never really seen anyone suck down on that sewage and love it. "'I took another pull from the bong. "'The pot fought against the speed in my system, "'calming me and helping me focus. "'The lights from the compound lit up the middle of the desert like it was Las Vegas. "'It agitated my eyes like the sun lamps at St. Matthew's. "'Eldridge grinned. "'Hold tight, R.J.' He floored the gas pedal and licked his chops. What the fuck are you doing? I thought all the weapons were in your hearse. It's better to catch them off guard. Are you nuts? You said there were a bunch of these skinhead idiots. The Escalade crashed through the main gate of the bloodsucker Auschwitz, splattering it, the two guards, and the security station everywhere. Two skinheads rolled up the hood, one of them left over the top of the other which had been clipped off with such a velocity it embedded itself into the windshield Eldritch what are you doing before he could answer we heard S.I.'s landing on the roof like golf ball sized hail knocking on the metal they started punching their way into the cabin as Eldritch continued to drive an arm tugged at my shirt from above I snapped off the arm and threw it out the passenger window the S.I. fell off the top of the truck Meanwhile, Eldridge snapped the steering wheel left and right, shaking off more skinheads. That didn't deter them, though. More and more latched onto the vehicle. Are you ready, R.J.? Ready for what? With his clawed index finger, he pointed in front of us to a gas pump. That, he said. Without missing a beat, Eldridge threw the truck into cruise control and opened his door. He looked over at me. You had better jump. Feverishly, I pushed my door open as S.I.s began pouring into the vehicle. I jumped and rolled out. Seconds later, the SUV climbed up the gas pump, ripping open the protective plate on the bottom and the wiring beneath. A sudden spark, and everything around it was consumed by a huge fireball. I sheltered my eyes from the explosion. Somehow, Eldritch had already made it over to me and he picked me up by my neck and ripped my jacket off because it caught fire. ''No time to jerk around,'' he said, turning me to face behind us. Standing there was a motley crew of skinheads, desians, and other riffraff. They charged us. ''Get out of here. I can handle these children,'' he pointed across the compound. ''She's got to be in that building. Eldritch, you can't go!'' he shoved me away we knew this was a blasted seppuku he drew two swords from behind his back and bowed his head in prayer rather than ask what seppuku meant I took off running I turned around once to debate his decision but it was too late the lichen raised would-be Hollywood star was gobbled up by the army of convicts a tornado of sand and blood rose from the ground I had made several bad decisions in my life. Not calling Eldritch my best friend and my strongest ally is something that I would most likely regret for the rest of it. Eldritch and Herman, they both sacrificed what little semblance of lives they had for me. The two people I respected the least in the entire world gladly gave themselves so that I could make things right. Maybe it was all the humanity that came from the shots of Bates' blood. Or maybe it was the holy blood force-fed to me by McAteer. But at that moment, I understood human compassion. I felt something much deeper than the drugs and blood that I needed to stay alive. I felt like there was a reason, a mission. I was a living creature, and I had to prove myself by not letting their deaths go unanswered. A warning siren filled the compound as I made my way into the buildings where Eldridge thought they were keeping bay. That was if she were still alive.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality.
2: The entire compound filled with the blistering heat of our flamboyant entrance. Gas and smoke billowed across the desert. I took off my shirt and put it over my head. As I took it off, my palm ran against the former home of my faction tattoo. My heart pounded away at the scarred cross on my chest, almost pumping itself free from the nothingness inside. I ducked into the cover of a hallway as two S.I.'s ran down the hall past me. What the fuck is going on? One asked. <laughs> that nigger drove his truck into the gas station. Where's Des? Oh, I think he's already over there. He's the only one that can keep that porch monkey in line. I hear that. They seemed to think the copper had to turn Judas on them, which bought me a little more time. I didn't know how far the pack that took down Eldridge was behind me, but they had to be closing in quick. It was also only a matter of time before Dez got wind of my arrival. What didn't make any sense to me at all was why a militant black dude and a bunch of intolerant, illiterate cunts were working together in the first place. I guess they saw eye to eye on their sheer hatred for everything human. Either that, or they simply saw the way to make more money with Herman and get me out of the way. It's amazing how money can make people hypocritical. After I was sure they had exited the building, I slipped down the hall in the direction they came from. I passed room after room in the forgotten clubhouse and didn't hear a peep. By the end of the hallway, in what I believed was once a ballroom during the heydays of the Salton Sea, I finally heard a TV, some laughter, and the faint whimpering of a little girl. I crept closer, knowing that this was my destination and, most likely, my grave... The foyer area in front of the ballroom had two doors on opposite sides of the room. A little farther down, the hallways branched. One had a sign that read Kitchen. The other read Backstage. Not really wanting to relive my stage performance at the opera house for obvious reasons, I took the route to the kitchen. The laughter increased and I was sure that only two people were in the ballroom with bait. To camouflage my footsteps, I sat down on the permanently clammy carpet and took off my boots. The pot had worn off and my heart resumed its uncontrollable rush from the meth. I gagged on the smells in the air. The combination of dead wharf smell and gas fire was such an overwhelming mix that it tasted like a rotten fish fry at a soup kitchen as the scent made its way from my nose down to my throat. I got back to my feet and pushed the swinging kitchen door open only to be knocked back by another smell. A gust of nail polish remover, burnt household, and noxious eggs overpowered the rotten fish fry. The kitchen had been converted into a makeshift meth lab. What seemed like hundreds of bathtubs lined the room and even more test tubes cooked over Bunsen burners. It was the largest drug lab I had ever seen. I shuffled through the labyrinth of bathtubs bubbling with off-yellow repurposed decongestions and 99-cent store disinfectants. The concoction snapped, crackled, and popped, ready to ignite at any second. It was amazing that the place hadn't already gone up in flames. It disturbed me that a gang with the collective intelligence of a slow five-year-old had constructed a room full of liquid dynamite. Thankfully, Eldridge hadn't aimed his joyride here... The whole place would have gone up like Hiroshima, and we would have all died. I pulled my T-shirt from my head and covered my nose and mouth instead. I made my way to the end of the nuclear cookery to the swinging door that led into the main ballroom. I peered to the round observation window. Mountainous big-screen TVs filled the room, each screen showing a different sporting event. Two SI sat by the stage not interested in the feast of athletics that surrounded them. Sure enough, I spotted Bate. She was center stage in front of an enormous drooping curtain that was tagged with the SI swastika symbol. She looked exhausted and was half suspended and half standing barefoot on a saguaro cactus that was laying on its side. She struggled to stay awake and alert, her toes trembling to find purchase on the plant in the safe green spaces between its large needle clusters around her neck both supporting and choking her was a noose poorly tied to a light fixture over the stage worst of all the safety lever of a live grenade was held between her blood drenched inner thighs the two wretched neo-nazis threw darts at her seeing who could be the first to knock her off and blow her inside out I didn't have much time I backpedaled through the meth lab, deciding that I wanted to get behind her on the stage. If I was going to be the hero, I had to put my dick-sucking incident behind me. Meth liquid continued to crackle and one of the biggest bubbles exploded and singed my right arm, nearly melting a hole all the way through my bicep. Clamping my mouth shut so I wouldn't let out a pained yelp, I ripped the shirt off my face and wrapped it around my arm like a tourniquet, pulling it tight with my teeth. As curiously as I had entered the kitchen, I slipped out. The alarms and disorder from the outside grew louder. I shuffled to the other side of the intermission area in front of the ballroom and beeline down the other hall. She's getting close. One of the skinheads delighted. Shit, this is like Genga, only way cooler. Returned the other. I jumbled my way up the small staircase that led backstage trying my best to keep the badly mildewed parquet flooring from creaking. When I reached the center of the curtains, I knelt on one knee in a starting gate running position. Trying to remain undetected, I slipped my hand through the parted curtains. The roaring of the televisions helped, too. As soon as I had my hand positioned, I let out a calming whisper. Drop the grenade bait, I said. Don't turn around. A dart flew through the curtain, barely brushing the wound on my arm. Bait's legs opened and the grenade fell into my hand as she plunged into the grip of the rope around her neck. The skinheads heads cheered as her neck slipped sideways and they covered their sensitive ears, preparing for the impending explosion. Bait gagged on the rope as the quick asphyxiation began. I jumped into action, vaulting myself to the curtains and snagging Bait off the line with my injured right arm. I curled her inward and then dropped her to the floor before jumping toward the S.I.'s, who stood up in shock, hands still covering their ears. "'Holy shit,' the dirtier of the two let out. The other turned around, tripping at first but finding his balance quickly and then headed toward the doors, arms and legs thrashing around in fear. I landed with my cupped hand directly onto the face of the first dirtbag. Without hesitating... "'I pounded the grenade through his crooked meth teeth "'and down into his throat. "'His eyes crossed as I let go of the safety lever. "'I then flipped his entire body over my shoulder "'and threw him toward his fleeing colleague. "'His chicken-shit buddy turned around "'only to be clobbered by the human projectile. "'He scratched his friend's face for a split second, "'trying to release the grenade and save his own life "'before both their bodies exploded in a mixture of body parts and theater shrapnel.' Flesh and bone confetti snowed around the room as the smoke that delivered them sent off the sprinkler system. I rushed back to bait and tried to cradle her back to life in my arms. RJ, she sniffled. Yeah, it's me, Bate. She looked beyond me back toward the resting place of the two skinheads. Look out. Carelessly, I dropped her head in the floor as I turned and sprung back to my feet, bracing myself for an attack pouncing toward me, naked, was my old protege, Des, With bloodlust in his eyes, Des hissed and growled like a mountain lion whose den had just been disgraced by a pack of coyotes. He knocked me backward into one of the televisions, then poured his head into Bates' chest cavity. I crashed into the TV and sparks pricked at my eyeballs, fizzled out, and smoked. I tried blinking to stop the storm at broken electronics, but my sight became increasingly blurry as tears welled up to prevent damage. Dez landed on top of me, crunching down on my shoulder with his teeth and dug his thumb into the meth and flicked trauma on my arm. He grabbed a huge chunk of glass off the floor and plunged it into my sternum, always with the weapons. Who's the fucking leader now, RJ? He shrieked. My blood coated his face and smeared his grimace from the tips of his ivory straight up into his gums. Who's the fucking leader now? Des bit me again with his locking jaw, this time to my other shoulder. He clamped down harder, sensing the tender flesh from where the armless Desian had locked his hooks into me. He grabbed the front of my hair and savagely beat me into the glass display of the TV. In his madness as his voice slipped and changed pitch his teeth tugged on my clavicle as he howled and salty tears dripped into my ravaged lacerations he shuffled into a kill position by releasing his mouth and pinning me down with his knees i felt like the dogs that eldritch and i had eaten alive earlier that night she's dead motherfucker he beamed like a shit-eating bastard kid i kept her alive because i knew you'd be back i wanted you to see me kill her you piece of shit he withdrew the glass shard from my face and then as quickly as he had attacked he retreated he bounced back across the room and pounded through a window the shattered glass smashed to the floor directly on top of bait she coughed rj i tried to blink but the burns in my eyes caught my lids Making it impossible for me to close them. Bate coughed again. RJ, are you alive? I'm here, Bate. I flopped myself over, out of the frame of the TV. I dug my fingers into the ballroom floor and gradually towed myself away from the mess. Hang on. RJ, hurry. She wheezed, choking on blood. I pulled myself farther breaking both sides of my vulnerable clavicle and ignoring the mauling I had just suffered at the hands of my so-called best friend. I'm coming, Bait. I reached her, cradling her frail body again in my arms. Shards of glass stuck into her like a pincushion. Without being able to see clearly, I did my best to pull out the larger pieces. Stop, RJ. It's okay. I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you to a hospital or something. I can get you to Pico. He can help. Stop. You don't need to do that. God damn it, Bait. You can't die. You don't need to do that. RJ. (laughs) She coughed out a huge clot of blood as I held her close. She shivered. I felt around the glass. Des managed to cave in her chest when he landed on her. I put my left wrist behind her neck and slipped my right forearm under her legs. You don't need to do that, she said again, spitting out her two front buck teeth. Why do you keep saying that? I need to help you. Where have you been, RJ? Bates, shut up. I need to get you some help. You don't need to do that. She whispered again for the umpteenth time. She was more delirious than me. Come here. I bent the side of my head down to her lips. Make me like you. Bite my neck. Her legs started thumping against the ground. You can make me live forever. You're a vampire. I can't do that, bait. That's not how it works. RJ here I put my ear to her convulsing face make me one of you I want to be a vampire as I felt her breathing freeze up and her soul begin to escape I turned her head sideways my vision started to clear just enough to see her smile under her skunky greasy hair I'm going to be a vampire she said as I bit down into her neck I took my mouth off her neck and whispered back I want to be like you babe." hi hot guy she said as I felt a comforting hand grasp my shoulder and then she went limp in my arms I sunk my teeth back into her neck hoping maybe I could save her her blood tasted innocent and naive she was the greatest tasting human in the world she was everything right and wrong with the universe she was my only tie to a normal life a life i knew i could never have and i was her tie to a world she wanted so desperately to fit into can you give me a second eldritch yes my friend He released his hand from my drooping right shoulder. His creepers slowly tapped across the floor as he walked away. Another explosion went off outside and the power shut down in the ballroom. As I pulled a dart out of her face, I gazed into Bates' eyes for one last look at what she would never become. It's over now. I crossed her arms across her chest and closed her eyelids. R.J., Eldridge yelled across the room. Catch. I didn't bother to attempt to catch the object without looking. Nothing that cool ever seemed to work for me. It landed in the ballroom floor next to me. It was the keys to the hearse. I'm too fucked up to drive, he said. I hugged Bate all the way to sleep. I knew what had to be done. Chapter 31 Demons Peoria, Arizona was hot. I kind of felt like my skin was melting again, and it probably was. As the sun started to go down, Eldritch and I lathered ourselves up with sunscreen and rolled up the windows on his hearse. After I let him know where I wanted to go, he took over the driving. Can you turn off the vampire music, Eldritch? I've had enough doom and gloom to last me the rest of my life. He pulled out the USB cord from his iPhone and turned up the radio. The talk radio host spoke. A giant methamphetamine fire erupted out at the abandoned Sultan Sea Resort last night that police are blaming on a neo-Nazi street gang named the Skinland Invasion. According to area police chief Timothy O'Malley, they were poised to strike the operation and had been investigating it for months. Is that... Always the way these things are explained, Eldritch. For the most part, I heard the other day that a respected and charitable priest downtown was shot to the head by Satanists. Neither of us really had much to say to each other, so we just listened to the radio. I didn't even bother telling him the cloth's experiment to create me. It was less about shame than was trivial at that point. The radio host continued with the day's headlines as the last of the desert sun sunk behind a mountain. In entertainment news, more information is surfacing about the heroin overdose of the overly private and secluded actor Stefan Roderick. The co-host laughed her way into the conversation. (laughs) The guy who plays the lead vampire in those nightshade films? The one who takes himself way too seriously, right? That's him. We told you last week that he takes his role so seriously that he insists all his scenes be shot after dark. He won't even take a studio executive meeting during the day. The co-host giggled. (laughs) Go on. It's really not that funny. It's serious. She held in her laughter.
3: (laughs) Okay, okay.
2: I'm serious now. Anyway. Roderick apparently overdosed yesterday and insiders say that he was a heroin addict. Big deal. The co-host sighed. Another druggy movie star. Is that what shocks you? No. No. Wait, it gets so much better. Roderick recovered from the overdose and police say he refuses to leave his home in Austin, Texas. His handlers have only brought in his personal physician to treat him. Both hosts roared with laughter. The co-host said, Talk about someone who takes themselves too seriously. I turned off the radio. Roderick is one of us, you know, Eldridge said. I'm not sure I know what you are, Eldridge. Without looking at him, I said, Pull over. And I snatched Eldridge's iPhone and searched for Bates' name. Surely there had to be a record of a missing 12-year-old on the Internet. I found an article. Parents beg for the return of runaway teen... Balia Jenkins. And in the first sentence were their names. Mother Roberta Jenkins... And stepfather Thomas Fries. I walked to the door. I knocked. I knocked again. I heard fiddling with the doorknob. Then... Nothing... After two more minutes of pounding, the white door finally crept open to the Arizona outside. What do you want? Thomas was slimier than I imagined in my head. Shirt off. Ponytail. Boxer briefs. For a second, I shook off the image of Bait begging me to bite her neck. Sir, I found your daughter. Who the fuck are you, faggot? He wiped the coke knot off his irritated nose. I scrubbed my forearm, wanting more than anything to take him down. I wasn't a vampire. I didn't need to be invited into his house. Time to get me high. I'm from... Ah, uh, uh, shit. I grabbed his head from the back, dug my pinky into the base of his skull, and twirled the George Carlin ponytail around my index finger. Do you like to finger little girls, motherfucker? I pulled his head into my chest. One last chance. I found your daughter. Tell her you're sorry. I really don't want to do this. I don't want to kill you unless you did something wrong. But I did. I was a serial killer, and I was the world's greatest aftermarket abortion. Not all trash deserves to live and breathe. Bates' voice seemed to be inside of me. I felt her pain. The pain she suffered at the hands of some shitbag who made her masturbate while he jerked off into her asshole. I rolled my fingers down and dug farther into his skull. I just wanted to rip his head off. I got my mouth right next to his ear. I tried to whisper, but at this point, talking was over. Do you think it's cool to fuck and finger, little girl's asshole? He sniffed and searched his dense brain for some wise retort. Nothing came out. He didn't even care enough about his own life to plead for it. Who are you? The ringing in my ear from the habit's bullets drove thumbtack pains into my brain. I couldn't hear shit. I just wanted to kill. No matter what he said to me, he was going to die. I quit speaking. I took my index finger and jammed it into his left eye and started finger-fucking his brain. You know when something is just out of reach? You tickle it? I pulled him closer, fully penetrating his brain. His other eye rolled back, bleeding. I took my index finger and jammed out the other eye. All I could hear was, Please. And, No. And, Why? Why? I screamed. I moved him away from my chest and picked him up through his eye holes. You don't? finger fuck little girls he shook out one last worthless breath and quivered for a second i felt like a real vampire i dug my mouth into his neck and just rocked his jugular then i balanced the top of his skull with my free hand as i broke through it with the hand i was using to dig around inside i pushed upward and tore off his head and i wasn't fucking around either I beat it 24 times on the coffee table. I counted. I threw his face across the room. Disheveled, I wandered around the wood-paneled house a little. Then I heard, Oh my God! In lingerie, the worst human being in the world stood across the room from me with a toothbrush in her mouth. It was her. It was Mom. Roberta. "'Are you Roberta Jenkins?' "'I didn't wait for an answer as I stormed across "'and seized her vocal cords and esophagus. "'The toothbrush fell out. "'Using her voice box as a tow rope, "'I yanked her to the floor, "'smacking her chin against my fist in the carpet. "'As I pulled on the insides of her neck, "'her shrieks became more and more high-pitched "'until the stringy cords severed "'like the strings on a guitar tuned too far. "'As I reached the complete threshold,' Her voice let out a kazooed rumble and then fizzled away completely. She didn't like to talk. What was the use? I ripped the thing out, right from the stem, and threw it towards Daddy's head. I picked up her electric toothbrush and browbeat the fuck out of her. The bristles cut into her forehead and the power of the beating made the batteries from the brush fall out. I grabbed one off the floor and pushed it into her ear until the eardrum popped. Red fudge sludged in and out of her triple chins. I picked up what was left of the toothbrush and drove it through her eye sockets. This was the person who let her daughter get fucked by a molester and just sat there. She brushed her teeth and turned the other way. The bitch squirmed around as her belly shirt gut brushed across my arm. She tried to beg for mercy, but only came up empty. I clenched my eyes and tried to shake it off. All I wanted from them was an apology. All I wanted from Dez was an apology. All I wanted from my mother was an apology. I know what I am, I yelled. You know what, you evil cunt? Her last seconds of fear and life escaped her. I spun her head off and then punted it through the window that was taped over with a black garage bag. Her body continued to wriggle around. Good thing I still had a fix. I planted my foot in her sternum and ripped her arm off. Shot to the wrist. I squeezed every last drop of blood out of her arm like a towel. No knuckle this time. I went reverse style and showered myself in her worthless blood. I lifted up the arm like a trophy. It was my first straight fix since rehab. I stumbled around for a minute... Well, stumbling would imply that I was in control of what I was doing. Realistically, I fell through the same window that I threw Mama's head out of. I pulled myself back into the house, only to crash face-first into the screen of an old-school rear-projection TV. And then, after several attempts at trying to pick myself up, I heard a peep from across the room. Drunk on misery, I slung around, ready to kill. Then I saw her. Hey, I said, as the mellowing drugs vibrated through my body, under the kitchen table, was a little girl. I tried to smile when I remembered something that Bay told me. He pins her down and makes her lick his balls. Pinball? She hid her face behind her hands and didn't say a word. My legs collapsed Indian style and I scratched my belly. A pit bull came over, licked some blood off my knee, and then curled up next to me. I patted him. He hated his parents just as much as everyone else did. I pulled Bates' ID card out of my pocket and tossed it to the little girl. She looked at it but didn't pick it up. Then she pulled the tablecloth from above her head and hit her face. The hot desert nightfall caused sweat to drip out of my eyes. Everyone knows that vampire gangsters don't cry. Oh, the humanity. Knuckle Supper, Ultimate Gutter Fix Edition and its critically acclaimed sequel, Knuckleballed, are available now from Bloodbound Books. Also, please consider making a donation to Children of the Night today and help end teen prostitution and human trafficking. Children of the Night is a privately funded non-profit organization established in 1979 with the specific purpose of providing intervention in the lives of children who are sexually exploited and vulnerable to or involved in prostitution and pornography. Visit childrenofthenight.org for more information today. From author Drew Stepek and all of us here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, thanks for listening and for your support. For more than 20 years, Drew Stepek has written, produced, and directed for the publishing, online, and entertainment industries. Drew has worked for Film Threat, Sci-Fi Universe, Wild Cartoon Kingdom, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Saturday Night Live, The Profiler, The Pretender, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and ESPN. In the past 10 years, the author ventured into creative directing and ideation roles involving entertainment and technology marketing for Davy Brown Entertainment and Straight Up Technologies. In 2012, Stebeck took a position as the head of branded entertainment for Makanema. He has also been a creative director at Awesomeness TV and is currently the head of integrated marketing at All Deaf Media. Born in Royal Oak, Michigan, Stebeck moved around a bit as a young man and finally found his home in Hollywood, California in 1994. Stebeck attended Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. His first novel, Godless was released six six six, June sixth, two thousand six, and has since captured a strong underground following. Currently, Stepic is working on the sequels to Knuckle Supper and Knuckle Bald. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and it's featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at... Horror Hill at SimplyScaryPodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. And if you could, please leave a kind word, or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening.